with the Onyx Pathcast. It's me, Matthew Dawkins, with my guest, Hiromi Kota. We are just about to embark on episode two of our Scion tour. So if you haven't listened to episode one, I very much recommend it. Please check it out. We're going to be diving straight back in to that now. Let's spend a little bit of time on Demigod, because some people, uh, some fans of Scion, of course, are very much invested in the hero level, and uh, I know a lot of people in my local gaming group is very much looking forward to God, and so Demigod acts as the, the middle child, if you like, of the power levels, and I would love it if you could just briefly explain what the key distinction is between playing a demigod and the scion tiers either side of it. You you kind of touched on an important aspect of uh, the uh, distinction between uh, hero and demigod there, where there is the idea that if you're going to survive in the world that you are going to need more help. You're going to need uh, more ability and more power. And Demigod is both you sort of doing the same cool kinds of stuff that you did as a hero, but it is also very much preoccupied with uh, the uh, accumulation of power. So like Demigod is very much focused on the concept of apotheosis, of becoming a god. And like it is a long road. It there is there are quite a few steps that you have to undertake in order to get there. And each each step you make, each step you take, uh, gets you that much further along. It gets you that much uh, more ability. It puts that much brighter of a crosshair on your back. But at the same time, all of those things that you weren't quite powerful enough to pull off as a hero become easier and easier as a demigod so if you had a bunch of friends uh who were who were uh at one point uh your fate bindings they were just sort of like uh your friends that you used to hang out with on the street uh they might start looking at you with uh, a little bit more of reverent eyes but also their problems become less uh, personal problems and more consequences of wherever you happen to fall in terms of the uh, Tanamaki. Mm. Uh, there's this like the, the struggle f- between uh, gods and titans spills over, uh, and like there are many ways that you could potentially play demigods, but I think the way that most people are going to have fun with it is kind of experiencing the growing pains of being more than human but still having those human ties uh like those human ties are getting thinner but they're still there they're still very much there someone might still have your phone number (laughs) uh (laughs) they're probably not going to call you in the middle of the night and wake you up uh to bother you about something trivial or to like text you about a wonderful opportunity to sell Cutco knives, but uh, they're they're still gonna they're still gonna think of you as um, that cool person that they grew up with, or that they met on a bus one time and who kicked the bus at um, a uh, giant squid. 
And we go back to the manhandling, <laughs> god handling of uh, automobiles. <laughs> but no, I, 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 I uh, absolutely see your point. There's a very enjoyable moral quandary that comes with being a demigod. Mm-hmm. Of at what point is it no longer your problem? Uh, yeah. that, you know, at what point do you have more important things to worry about? And for exactly the scenario you just posed, maybe not with the Cutco knives, but if uh, <laughs> maybe if a friend from, I guess it's like being hit up on Facebook, uh, you get a message from that kid that bullied you at school, now sees you're doing well and sends you a message and says, hey, says, hey do you remember me? I was at school. I've got, I need some help. I, I'm in a bit of trouble. I'm in debt. There's a loan shark who wants to take my kneecaps or words to that effect. You're a demigod now. This message just woke you up in the middle of the night. Uh, it may be an easy decision for us, let alone a demigod, to say, yeah, this isn't my problem. Mm-hmm. And yet you, in all of your power, can make it your problem and probably resolve it very quickly. But how many of these prayers do you answer? Uh, do you, Do you make yourself a problem solver or do you focus purely on your own growth of power and well, how much of those things go hand in hand yeah i mean it's like very much a matter of you are on the path to a tremendous amount of power but like there's there's plenty of stops along the way where you choose you have to choose do i do something with this power do i pause my accumulation of power in order to use what i have to take care of someone else like it raises many complications to the uh, power fantasy that mm. uh, role playing games provide. Yeah, and it can still and it can still be an extremely human story. Could, like if you want uh, to play a, uh, a demigod campaign that is almost entirely social interactions, I think it still lends itself to it very very well. Uh, and it doesn't even need to be sneaky intrigue and backstabbing. It can just be like a very human story, despite the fact that none of the players are human anymore. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, I think in the course of this podcast, we have successfully, and not in the right order, covered uh, origin, hero, demigod, and god, uh, with a bit of touching on Mask of the Mythos, along with uh, at least one tasty bit involving throwing cars. Uh, that isn't the. Um, there's also uh, the tasty bit. I just wanted to give a short shout out to because I have the author on this call with me. Uh, Zeus, we just want to talk. <laughs> is a wonderful setup scenario for a game of Scion. It is only a tasty bit, so it's only going to cost you about $2 to buy. Mm-hmm. But I think at that price, uh, kudos to you, Hiromi, for writing a punchy, quite literally, and fun intro to to a game of Scion, where if a story guide doesn't know how to initiate a story, they can just spend $2, pick this up, and they're away. They they have their introduction to the game. 
uh, in, a, in a nice, fun, pretty light-hearted fashion. It reminds me a great deal of uh, Food Fight for Shadowrun, if, uh, the, the scenario everyone yeah. has played uh, yeah. for Shadowrun across multiple editions. But I think that's a good thing. Um, I like I like products like that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, Zeus. We just want to talk uh, as a fun, lighthearted thing where it's not not inspired by Food Fight. Um, <laughs> although I I took pains to uh, make sure that uh, it's not just a shootout at a stuffer shack, um, <laughs> but if you want it to be violent, you absolutely can. Like I, I give the players uh, everything they need to hit Zeus in the head with a, an electric guitar made from one of his thunderbolts. Like that's the thing that you can just do. Uh, Also, (laughs) also this electric guitar does not need an amp does not need power. You can just play it wherever you want and annoy the crap out of your neighbors. Uh, please, please don't annoy the crap out of your neighbors. But if you do, you're probably a hero. So, I mean, what are they going to do? <laughs> uh, I uh, So, uh, it's ended recently. I was running a pretty lengthy game of Scion, uh, which is at hero level. And... Uh, I inserted the 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 idea of Zeus. We just want to talk in there, which was it was fun because of the player reactions. Uh, <laughs> because not <laughs> one of them is a child of the Theoi, and so the communal response is, "Why the fuck do we want to go <laughs> and?" Um, and piss off Zeus. There, there is very little for us to gain here, uh, other than maybe upsetting Hera by not doing what she asks. Um, but, you know, why are we doing this? But a certain resignation to the fact that when a god requests you do something, there should be some kind of reward in it, surely. And so they were trying to hound Zeus down through a um, Stuffer Shark supermarket kind of uh, scenario <laughs> where he was keeping his hood up and wanting to stay out of uh, stay out of their way. Um, just leave me alone. I, none of you are my children. I don't owe you anything. And uh, yeah, tracking him down to a bar, a betting shop, the usual fun array of locations. But it's a lot of fun. It's a lovely short stop, and I recommend people check it out. Oh. Uh, I, I realized that you're trying to switch to wrap up mode, but I just realized that <laughs> at the beginning, I teased that I was going to talk about uh, three paradigms for um, examining folklore through the lens of Scion. You did. And I didn't actually do it yet. No. <laughs> so I'm going to do like a speed run here. So I have helpfully... Uh, made them alliterative. Uh, the first way to uh, think about them is reliving. And in this this one, so you, you, the players, which includes the story guide, you are collaboratively telling a folktale uh, that's been told before. This is probably easiest if all of you are familiar with uh, at least one version of this. Um, and so, like, let's say, for example, a purely fucking hypothetical example you're playing a scion of 
Bran, and your name's Sir Gawain, to pick a totally random name. Uh, and you're chilling out at a circular table with your knightly buddies, and some weird guy in green armor with a big axe shows up. Some of you know what's going to happen next. Some of you don't, and that's fine. But the idea here is that you get to step into the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. You get to retell that story, but you're the protagonist. Or you are a group of protagonists reliving uh, the story that you've heard in at least one form. Mm. Uh, The second version of this is retelling, which is essentially like a postmodernist deconstructionist take. So you have familiarity with a myth and you try and break it. You try and make better uh, choices than the original heroes or gods and demigods. You're trying to do something better or at least different than what came before. Uh, So for example, let's say that you're a scion of Baldur uh, and you've been dreaming of mistletoe lately. So you as a player might know that it's only a matter of time before a close friend of yours accidentally kills you with a weapon made of mistletoe. You know what's coming, but maybe this time you make a deal with Loki. You trap him behind a promise. While you live, you are sworn to take care of him. But after you die, he's sworn to take care of your family. Loki's now trapped. He can try and go ahead with his plan and kill you, which makes makes everyone sad, but now it also means that he's on the hook to fulfill that promise. Or he can not kill you, which ruins his fun, but now he actually gets something out of it. And if if it turns out that uh, a Hother, uh, or rather a scion of Hother, uh, ends up holding a mistletoe weapon, you know what's happening, and you end up fulfilling the same destiny that Baldur always does, but you're going out on your own terms and you get something out of it. And so does everyone else. Um, you can also uh, have it uh, on the opposite way where there are all the signs that you're in a specific myth, but maybe you don't recognize them. Maybe they're too abstract. Maybe for, maybe you're a scion of Quetzalcoatl. Uh, walking around a strange dark realm. There's tons of strange dark realms. There's no way for you to know which one that you're in. Uh, and like maybe you pick up some uh, strange bones. And well, they're, they're strange bones. Maybe maybe you should talk to them and find out what the hell's going on. So you imbue a little life force. You give them. You imbue a little legend into them. And when you do that, they come to life as a totally new kind of human. Congratulations. You have just created the people of the fifth sun. You're in a creation myth, and you're the star. Not not the literal star, though, because Tonotiach uh, is a dick. Uh, <laughs> but like, you you get to rewrite the myth, or at least try to rewrite the myth. Alternatively, the myth tries to rewrite you. Mm. Uh, either way, uh, retelling is super fun. Uh, last wi- last one. We're probably super over time, but... Uh, That's all right. We'll, we'll find finish. a way to, to cut it down a bit. <laughs> Reply. So in this case, that's so like the first two paradigms I was talking about. So reliving and retelling. I'm talking about what to do within a familiar myth. Uh, replying. You're talking about what happens 
afterwards. Mm. Like, what if you show up on Ithaca? You're like, all right, time for a vacation on Ithaca. Why the fuck are there a hundred dead bodies here? <laughs> and Odysseus and Telemachus are just covered in blood. Mm. And there's a scion of Athena in the corner pulling out like a flashy thing from uh, MIB trying to erase everyone's fucking memory. And that's your starting point. Cause that's, that's more or less where Homer left leaves off. That's basically where book 24 is. Yeah. There's no book 25 except you're making it now. Yeah. You're home now. Odysseus. <laughs> you're welcome home. Bloodshed, bloodshed, bloodshed. Um... <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. Uh, that's that's a wonderful way of viewing Scion and the way different ways you can run it, different ways you can play it. Uh, I think those are excellent cornerstones, and that's given me a lot to think about as well. The, um, you know, I, I, I like like many a Western European. Uh, I I was raised with a lot of uh, the Greek mythology to a lesser mm-hmm. extent Egyptian. Uh, when I was growing up, um, because it, I guess it formed a part of the classics as far as uh, Western European culture goes, mm-hmm. and so I, I, even as a child, and probably spurring some of that, uh, the role playing part of me, I was asking, you know, what if um, Perseus had just chosen to speak to the Medusa? Yeah. Uh, or uh, you know, or tr- try to negotiate with Medusa and, and and bring her forth from from her cave in that version of the myth, you know. Um, or what what would have happened if this character had died at this point, or if this many sailors had been eaten by um, Charybdis uh, or Scylla? Um, uh, would Odysseus have made it home? Would Odysseus have had to have stayed on one of the many islands that he encounters? And what would have become of Ithaca in such a example? You know, those kinds of scenarios always went through my head. I loved what ifs, and so the idea of playing with existing myths, I think that's very freeing for Sion because, and yeah, I do, I do know we're over time, but hopefully this is. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think this is interesting because. I think a lot of people will come into Scion, maybe not a lot, some people will come into Scion and they'll think, well, shit, there's a lot of mythology here. There's a lot of history here. There's no way I can read it all, digest it all, and treat it all with with respect and accuracy. And the And while that, I cannot absolutely understand why that's a problem, role-playing is an interactive medium. And as Hiromi has pointed out, as I have pointed out, there are often many different versions of the same myth. Mm -hmm. And in role-playing games, part of the fun is not just following the linear course. You don't just have to follow an existing story from beginning to end and then get to the end of it and think, well, that was historically accurate. And the interesting thing... uh... Not to further take us over time, but I'm gonna. No, no, um, no don't, don't worry. The... I think we're. This is going to become two episodes at this rate, so let's carry on. <laughs> All right. Then. Uh, so when you're talking about respect, so Scion has a very interesting relationship uh, when it comes to being respectful to cultures. Um, so, like on on one hand, or rather, like behind the scenes, 
on like a uh, writer and developer level uh our our goal is always to provide um as authentic voices as possible to be as respectful to uh the people and cultures and religions uh that we're portraying but on both sides respect is much more complicated than uh, a lot of folks uh, realize especially in when it comes to scion because being respectful to the modern greeks who grew up with the olympians in their hearts who grew up with uh the folk tales like in their their dna of essentially is one thing and it's not the same thing as being respectful to the stories of the ancient greeks who saw the theoi in their daily life mm. or daily lives and that's also not the same thing as being respectful to the gods themselves like Hera would be fucking pissed if she was if she looked around and went, "Why are there no new legends of me? What, what, where are all the where are all the new stories of me?" <laughs> and she might even look at like Disney's Hercules and go, "Oh, paints me in a positive light. People are talking about me. I look hot. Sure, I'm okay with that." Whereas anyone who's studied the myths would be what the fuck <laughs> disney's hercules is wildly off base mythologically but i think Hera would actually be okay with it um and that's like the really really weird thing where that scion has in that like being respectful to the gods is not at all the same thing as being respectful to the modern people of the culture. And it's not the same thing as being respectful to the stories. Mm -hmm. Those are three separate stakeholders. And I want to be as good as I can to all three of them, but there's no way to fully succeed on all three of them because they are different, different things. And part of the thing that, uh, like part of the reason why I routinely bring this up when I can is that a lot of folks think, oh, well, I know a baseline about this uh, god. I I can read like a chapter or so that talks about this, but there's no way I can possibly know everything. And that's true. There's no way that you can possibly know everything because the historians and the cultural experts and the people of the culture don't know everything. So yeah. how could you? This is not a cop-out. This is not me saying, it's okay to not know everything. Don't try. Please try. But it's okay to get things different than other people. It's okay to get things wrong. The point is that you want to be respectful, as respectful as you can, to all three groups. Like, to the myth, to the modern people who of that culture, and to the gods. Like... In the world, all of the gods' myths keep coming. Like, in a lot of cases of mythology, we think about mythology as being something in the past because those cultures either no longer exist or no longer exist in that way that they did when they uh, wrote those stories. Like, the... Uh, uh, the Mexica people, uh, the uh, the Aztecs, like their their stories 
kind of just stop around mm. around the 1600s. But that didn't happen in the world. They didn't stop. There's like another 400 years of stories that the world has that we don't. And that is the space where people can create uh, new and interesting tales and explore the gods. And again, please do as much uh, reading and uh, learning as you can, because you still want to get things to feel right. Like if you have um, a story centered on Quetzalcoatl and like he's just an asshole the whole time and like doesn't care about humanity, it's going to, it's not going to feel right. But if you have kind of a feeling for like a, the God's personality, then you have enough information to sort of go, okay, well, in this uh, scenario that happened after all the codices were compiled uh, and after the conquistadors just fucking wrecked everything, how how would Quetzalcoatl uh, uh, interact with this? Like, what 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 would he do? And that is a fascinating space that there is lots um, of ground that players and storytellers can cover, and like there is really no end to what you can do as, as the line developer, as the creative lead, uh, I, it's kind of my job to try to, um, outfit players with as much useful knowledge as I can give you so that like you can have, uh, the opportunity in the space to have, um, fun, but also to like, not go <laughs> wildly off base. Yeah. Um, but when, when there are uh, myths that conflict, when there's like uh, different versions of gods, uh, like earlier I said that Tony uh, was a dick and that's true in one version and uh, in, in other versions, he is the son and he's great. Uh, and both versions exist in the world. You do what you want when myths uh, disagree. You can you could be a dick in your in your uh, game. Uh, you could be dead in your game. Some someone could have just been like, I, "It's enough, <laughs> like enough of your bullshit of refusing to make the sun rise. Mm. Uh, you're you're fucking with crops, and we're tired of your shit." I think D and D has got a lot to answer for. In in the sense that uh, so uh, as as we are proceeding on, um, in the sense that an awful lot of uh, what we come to see as monsters, myths, gods, and so forth are given alignments, and I'm no enemy of the alignment system. I think it does what it sets out to do well. It's a good barometer, especially for new players, of uh, how a character might act. But as soon as you start getting into planar matters, uh, to continue on the D&D vein, mm -hmm. uh, it becomes an orthodoxy. Or it's certainly been treated like that in some editions of Dungeons & Dragons, where 
uh, to to pick on a god, uh, a maligned god, Set or Sutek, mm-hmm. uh, who of course has been maligned in Vampire as well and Werewolf <laughs> among other books, uh, is always portrayed as uh, well. Alternate, uh, sorry, alternates between either lawful evil or chaotic evil, depending on your campaign setting. But is primarily a corruptive, destructive uh, influence, and only evil people would worship this god. And uh, I, I think a lot of that's probably going to come down to Conan. But <laughs> the but the fact of the matter is, while there were periods across the vast expanse of Egyptian civilization, which it would be incorrect to describe as one civilization, really, mm-hmm. uh, the the very brief period uh, during which Set was a part. He went through a huge number of changes uh, in the mythos, essentially. Uh, Whether he was responsible for bringing the rain, or killing his brother, or staving off the end of the world, or, or making the sunrise. You know, the gods have all of these different aspects attributed to them. Uh, that can very easily be boiled down in in simpler games to this god is evil or this god is chaos. And what I particularly appreciate about Scion is it attempts and I think succeeds uh, to treat deities and their pantheons as multifaceted. And going going back to that thing, we keep revisiting the idea of there are multiple takes on the same god and the same myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, means that you as players and story guides do not have to cleave to a certain interpretation. It is excellent, and I would say necessary to have respect, uh, especially where, as Hiromi pointed out, a, a lot of these... Uh, I guess mythologies are treated as historic because some of these civilizations in our world have been absorbed, annihilated in some tragic cases. Um, But some aren't historic. Some are ongoing to this day. It's it's incorrect to think of every single thing that isn't uh, Abrahamic as a historic religion, uh, when that's certainly not the case. And so I think there's just so much fertile ground you can till with Scion uh, at any level, um, Mm -hmm. but especially looking at hero and demigod when you are really playing with the fabric of the myths that draw you into this game. You can approach them through any of the three avenues that Hiromi has outlined. Uh, and I think you can have a great deal of fun subverting expectations. Um, one of the games I know I've spoken about a bit on the Pathcast before, and um, in fact we have a book of this type coming out for Scion, um, an Arthurian book. I ran Pendragon mm-hmm. for a long time, uh, and I think a lot of role players have at some point or other experienced the Great Pendragon campaign. It's been around for a long time. <laughs> And one of the, uh, I guess, milestones of the Pendragon campaign is when King Uther dies. 
And mm-hmm. so the first set of characters you play in this game are likely, but not guaranteed, uh, it's all in the wording, uh, to end up being poisoned along with King Uther. And this leads to an anarchy period in the Britain of Pendragon. After which Arthur, of course, rises uh, several decades later. And so I was playing this, uh, running this game for my group who had uh, started at the beginning of Uther's reign and were passing through and getting closer and closer. And some of them had received various prophecies that Uther's reign would die um, with calamity. And uh, the current generation of, of lords, of dukes, uh, and so forth would fall. And given that some of the players were familiar with the myth of, with the mythos that we already live with, uh, and had seen movies like Excalibur, quite frankly, um, <laughs> they could anticipate that there was going to be a great poisoning. And so some of them, and they did it in character, they weren't purely metagaming, they sought to subvert fate. They... They ensured that Uther wouldn't get poisoned, and um, and then they started worrying. Well, what if someone try? What if the poisoners, these vile Saxons, or the um, the enemy that has infiltrated Uther's court, has managed to get to the the animals? What if the horses have essentially been doped? So ahead of the battle tomorrow, they're going to stumble and trip and fall. And uh, so they they were keeping an eye on the on the stables, and they were keeping an eye on the food and the wine, and they were just being as careful as they possibly could because they were determined. They loved Uther, they loved their king, despite his many many flaws. And I thought, well, I'm not going to punish them for that. Uh, I'm not going to have Uther just keel over dead of a heart attack. But through their actions, they were creating a massive amount of paranoia in the court. <laughs> And they were speaking to trusted advisors, trusted lords and dukes and so on, uh, and and voicing their concerns that this was going to happen. And so people were seeing them as doomsayers. And and there were some rival uh, lords who were thinking, well, if Uther falls, there is no legitimate heir at this time. Who is going to take Excalibur? Uh, Because whoever holds the sword controls the island. Mm-hmm. And so when it finally came to the following day, everyone had survived. Dawn came, they ready for battle, mustered on the field. Uh, Uther decides he wants to lead the charge, despite the player character's best efforts to stop him. And the battle goes ahead, where it does not in the myth. And because the battle is going ahead, they have no way of knowing how it's going to resolve. <laughs> I think that's uh, like a really fun aspect of fate is that like Mm. if if you fight fate and you succeed, you don't know what's going to happen next. If you fight fate and you lose, you still don't really know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Well, in in this game, Uther takes a his horse takes a single arrow as he's charging into battle, but it makes it trip and fall and bucks him off. And his lords, seeing the king fall, some of them rush to him with defense on their minds. 
they need to get him to safety. Others see Excalibur fly from his hand and think, now is my time. <laughs> and so Uther does still die because he has to die for the Arthurian myth to continue. But he ends up basically being trampled into the mud by his own cohort. <laughs> and uh, dying a, what is arguably a more ignominious death than being poisoned at his feast table. I don't know. And Excalibur gets lost in the mud because Excalibur has to be lost as well. And so, nice. but but the the players ended up appreciating it because they didn't feel like their efforts were in vain. Rather, they felt like their efforts had changed history, because all of these lords didn't die. It was just the king who really fell. Obviously, some people died in battle, but it wasn't the massacre. It, the most integral cog came apart. But their characters survived, and a lot of these competing lords survived, which led to a different kind of Britain, where Arthur could still rise, but there was a different anarchy coming up. And the reason I tell this story, as Hiromi pointed out, this is a part of the fundamentals of fate in Sion. You can be playing through an existing myth, and you can try to change it. But you should expect, both in character and out, that the story guide is going to play some smart game at this point. Not necessarily going to just appease your desire to change fate, and not necessarily just going to buck against it and say, no, absolutely not, it's got to go a certain way. Things will still come to pass in a way that may be prophesied, but maybe not in the way you've anticipated them. And I think that can make for a fantastic experience at the table and really reward story guides who look into their myths, the myths they want to put into their tales, into their stories, I should say, that they're running for their groups. Because they can, you can start thinking of certain points along the myth of, well, what happens if this changes at this point? What, you know, what might be the outcome here? And again, I know I'm recapping a lot of what we've just spoken about but those 500 years or so of uh, where we haven't had anything resembling an Aztec empire in our world what would have happened if there had still been believers in this incredibly intricate and detailed faith that was all but obliterated in in the course of a generation or two uh, how might the Americas have changed? How might the world have changed? And mm -hmm. you can look at different aspects of mythology, of religion, of of culture, and pose these what-if questions with Sion and have a huge amount of fun with it, um, just changing up our world in minor and major ways. And uh, one of the things that um, is is super fun to sort of like... Uh, tease that out and to sort of re-envision what's what's happening uh, is like just available to the to the players as like minor details that they can uh, throw in. Uh, for example, in the uh, uh, Scion Showcase game that I'm storytelling, uh, uh, Jeffrey decided that uh, his character uh was a wasp uh 
uh, a white Anglo-Saxon pantheist. <laughs> and I'm just like, that is the best. Holy shit. Go, go with that. Uh, and like, he, he decided that, um, uh, there, there was such a thing as the, uh, Argonaut scouts, uh, and that they're just like, have a summer camp, throw spears, learn how to sail boats. Like this, this is something that I don't think that we would ever like commit to having in the, uh, the books just because like we would, it, it would require a tremendous amount of detail in order for us to have all of the details present that uh, we would want and to make it, and to make it feel cohesive uh, worldwide because Scion is worldwide. Yeah. Uh, but in your home game, just drop that in, just do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think uh, we have definitely got enough material here for two episodes worth, Hiromi. <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, time f for you to say goodbye, as Andrea Bocelli would say. But uh, before you go, do tell us, is there anything you want to promote within or without of Onyx Path? And uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on a titter and uh, blah blah twit <laughs> that's the more amusing that's, version. that's the that's the new social media <laughs> site uh that's like just sprung up now uh tiktok or twitter at hiromi uh at hiromikota um with twitter's changes maybe i'll stop being there but um it seems a smart business decision for me to stick around at least for a little bit longer. You can also find most of my books that are out uh, or most of my books and games that are out um, at my website, uh, hitomikoda.com. Uh, I do not think that I have anything specific to promote right now, but if this episode comes out after I want to say may 5th uh i may have very exciting uh magic the gathering uh uh stuff Ooh. to say um i don't I, I well i definitely can't talk about it now <laughs> <laughs> well well maybe we'll be able to do an episode at some point about card games so we'll we'll base it around fetch quest for pogmire and then expand out into covering magic vampire the eternal struggle rage and all kinds yeah uh okay all right well and they can find me at um dawkins mp on twitter likewise i'm uh, holding fast on twitter for now to see what changes occur uh but you can find me on there for the time being you can also find me and i think all of us on the onyx path discord it is really the best place to go to uh, ask us questions or to find out about your favorite games I'm going to say now, uh, this is the point most people will have tuned out, uh, but I'm going to say, Hiromi, exciting news. Within the next few days, so before this episode gets released, not only has Demigod gone out to back us, but I suspect strongly Tales of Depravity, for they came from beyond the grave, has gone out to back us mm. as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, so there's a book we code about together. Maybe we'll be able to reconnect and speak about that one in the future. Uh, some fun beyond the grave scenarios. Fun being uh, very much uh, 
<laughs> a choice there. <laughs> uh, some of those stories get a bit bleak. <laughs> but, it is but in a good way. Wall a good to way. wall fun if fun <laughs> is red. Yeah, I mean, Beyond the Grave is, of course, uh, it, it puts the fun in horror fun. Um, <laughs> as the old <laughs> saying goes. Uh, but you can obviously find all of us at theonyxpath.com. Do take advantage of the Scion sale going on throughout May, where you'll be able to get all kinds of Scion games, including the ones we have mentioned, some of the ones we mentioned in this uh, episode, at 90% off their price, which is frankly ridiculous. But Wow. You know, we are selling you the shirts off our own backs. And uh, with that said, thank you for listening. Many worlds, one path cast. Mm-hmm.